we're kind of skipping through Daniel a little bit, kind of hitting some spots that I think are very relevant for our day. Live in your faith in difficult circumstances. I think today is much different than it was 2,000 years ago. And we have circumstances in our lives today and, and that attack our faith, that uh, challenge our faith, that we have to overcome to stay in our faith, to keep hold of our faith. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Daniel, chapter uh, 6 today. And let's look at how Daniel was able to live his faith in a very difficult circumstance. You know, the Bible, the Old Testament is not just for kids' stories, right? It's not just for stories to tell kids in Sunday school or Bible camp or BBS. There's lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament from these stories like Daniel that we can apply as adults, as parents, as grandparents, as just people. Daniel, beginning in verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find ground for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or any man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree, put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. To be in your house, to be with your people, to be with you, to worship you, to, to praise you, to name you, Father. To name your son Jesus as my Savior and Lord, what a great thing, what a blessing. Thank you, Lord, again for speaking to, to April. Bless her and Brian both for, for her faith, for their faith, Lord. And Lord, bless this church that we would be a place where people could come to saving faith in Christ. That they could know you through Jesus Christ and they could call on his name and yours. And thank you for the Lord's table that we're going to celebrate in, Lord. We're going to eat the bread and drink the cup and remind ourselves of all that your son has done for us. It really is the lion and the lamb, that he is the lamb slain for our sins and that we desperately need him to forgive us and to be with us in all things. Lord, it seems at times today in this world we're living in that, that maybe sometimes it seems like the world's against us completely. And yet we know the world is not totally against us. We know that you're with us. Your spirit is with us. Your son is with us. We're with each other. We know that you love us and watch over us and defend us. So as we study your word this morning, as we worship from the word, we pray that your spirit would come and, 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 and just speak from the pages of the scriptures and remind us of the great truths that we're going to talk about. Remind us, God, of how you truly do love us and how you would have us react 
and live in this world. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we say God, as Christians, we say God, right? We say, I, I, I worship God. I, I love God. I follow God. I follow Jesus. When we say God, now as Christians, we know what we're, we're talking about, right? We know who we're talking about. We know that we're talking about the God of the Bible. The world is not so sure anymore about God. The world has kind of lost this understanding that God is great and that he is knowable, that God is transcendent, means he's above all things, he's not really of this world, and yet he is, he is imminent, he is present through his spirit and his son. We know who we're talking about. The world is not so sure about who we're talking about. The Bible has many names for God, many names for defining God, many names for calling on God. And we saw some in the video. Names like creator. Man, you cannot get a more descriptive word of God than creator. Is that true? Is that true? Yeah, he is the creator. He is the one who made all things. He made you. The Bible says that we were knit together in our mother's womb by God's hand. He is the creator. He is God almighty. The God that you worship, the God that you follow is God almighty. There is no one mightier and the God of the Bible, the God that we follow. He's the one true living God. There are lots of gods in this world, have been for thousands of years, and yet there is just one true living God, and we get to call on his name. Amen. Yeah. And also, there's also his, his given name, his, his name of respect, his name of honor. It's, it's, you see it in your Old Testament as Lord, all caps, right? Capital L-O-R-D, Lord. In the Hebrew, that's Yahweh. That's his given name. That's the name that he wants to be to be known by. And these names are found throughout the Old Testament, and yet there are other names too for God. Jesus Christ, he too is God. The Holy Spirit, he too is God. Messiah, Savior, Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb slain are all names for our God. When you talk about God, you should say my God too, by the way. He is your God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given Jesus Christ your life by faith, you're a follower of Christ, and God is your God. So he is your God. So you ought to be claiming him. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and women. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our God. He's just not a man who lived, who died. He's our God. He proved it when he rose up from the grave after three days. He overcame death and sin and Satan. And now he ascended into heaven and he waits there to come back. Today, we live in a nihilistic culture. That's a cult. The nihilism is the idea, the worldview, that there is no moral standard, that it's all just up to you. You define what good is, and you define what bad is. And there's this rejection of absolute truths today that we're not really sure that anything is really completely 100% true. And so that's our culture, and our culture rejects truth, and we accept the truth from the Bible. I think we need to stop talking about God in generic terms, just saying God. I think we need to start speaking more clearly about our God, because he is our God. We need to use more definitive terms, more defining terms, so that people have a better understanding about who we're talking about. 
that our God is great. Amen. And is he great? And therefore his name is great too. Amen. Amen. We also, I hate to say this because you're going to have different ideas of what I'm trying to say. Hear me out on this. I think we also need to stop waiting for God to do something spectacular. As if we're on some game show or some sort of realistic show. And they've got to, you know, those shows are known for being spectacular. James Bond, anybody watch James Bond movies? He does spectacular things, right? we got to stop waiting on God to do spectacular things as if he needs to constantly prove himself. Are we so unsure of God that we need, a, see, we need him to do some great, wonderful, incredible thing every second of the day or every day of our lives? Can we not have faith in our God and in the little things? We had a breakfast, a men's breakfast Saturday, and one of the guys that came is not a member, but he's been to this church several times and, and he was talking about how Jerry always asked, how has God impacted your life throughout this last month? How has God spoken to you throughout the week? What has he done in your life? And uh, Gordon, who's from Nigeria, said that he just sees God in the little things. It's not that he doesn't look for big things, not that he doesn't need big things, but he just sees, he just sees God in the, in the little things of how God redirects his life, maybe to the right or to the left, to get him out of a situation that he doesn't know is ahead of him. And he realizes that, and he sees that, and he recognizes God in the little things. I think that's a great view of God. I think we need to get a view of God like that. He doesn't need to prove himself. I think God has done enough things to prove himself to mankind in the last 4,000 years, 5,000, whatever. I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with him. Also, the fact, the fact of salvation itself. The way God's, if, I ever get, if you ever get to hear my testimony, it's not a spectacular testimony, by the way. It's just, a, it's just a, a testimony where how God worked in my life when I was 27, 28 years old and how he really just answered a prayer for me. A very simple, average prayer that I needed something and he did it. It wasn't spectacular, but he worked it out. So I think he's done enough great things to prove himself beyond any doubt to our world. Now, I, don't, I still believe in miracles, amen? I still believe in the God of miracles. I am not disper casting dispersion on that. I just think that we need to start seeing it more in the little things every day. And I think what God wants from Christians today is a quiet faith. Not a speechless, wordless faith, by the way, but it's just a simply quiet, confident faith in him. That he's going to work this out no matter whatever that situation is that we're facing, whatever that that problem or obstacle that whatever we're going through or button up against, God's going to take care of it. I know he is. He's done it before. He'll do it again. A faith that's assured and confident in him in every way, in our God and in his great name. Daniel and his friends, we've just read a part of this great section of, of the book of Daniel. We're going to talk about that other part next week. Daniel and his friends lived in a culture that didn't accept their worldview. They didn't accept their beliefs about God. The culture they lived in was not just unwelcoming to them. It was a threat to their very lives. Their culture threatened their lives. What we're seeing here is that Daniel and his friends had enemies. Take your bulletin, turn around to the back side, look at your outline. Point number one, the people of God will have enemies. We don't live in a, in a nice world. We live in a rough and tumble world. Where things go on, bad things happen. Good God, good God allows bad things to happen, but he'll bring something good out of that 
it will turn them over to him. Let's look again at verses 1 to 3. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's Daniel. In spite of being an Israelite, in spite of being of the, a follower of the Most High God, the one true living God, Daniel did well in the culture he lived in. It wasn't his, his natural culture. It wasn't the culture he was born into. It was a culture that he had been captured and taken to. He did well. God had given him gifts and abilities that enabled him to win favor with king after king after king. Didn't matter who was in who was in control, who was in charge, who sat on the throne. Daniel always gained favor because of his God. That's the thing we need to see. By this time, here in chapter six, the Persian king Darius was ruler of Babylonian Empire. He was he was the main man. He ruled over everything, and he made Daniel one of the three administrators of his kingdom. He was going to make him the number one administrator. So Daniel had power, he had influence, he had authority, he had everything he could want. Everything. He also had enemies. Look at verse 4. And at this, the administrators of the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligence. They were unable to find grounds for charges against Daniel. This is quite a group of men, by the way. The satraps. They, these are just secondary officials. These were minor officials who were in charge of a little small part of the kingdom. Maybe a city. Maybe a, a region where the farmers were at or the herdsmen were at. Whatever. They were in charge of that little piece. You see, Babylon wasn't just a nation or just simply a kingdom. It was made up of many nations. It had lots of kingdoms in it that had been conquered and incorporated into an empire. It was truly an empire. See, today we don't understand empires because we really don't have empires today. Back in, in the Old Testament era, there was lots of empires. There's all over the world. There was and People were building empires for themselves. And Israel was just one of the nations in the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel was favored. Daniel had been favored by Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, if you read about Nebuchadnezzar all the way through, you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar became a follower of God. And he also was favored by Belshazzar. God gave him favor with Belshazzar. And then Darius, he had favor with Darius. But Daniel also had enemies. Write this down. Write this down. God's favor often comes with risk. God's favor often comes with risk. Let me tell you, when you trust in God, if you're in business or you're working in a, in a company or, or whatever you're doing, whether you're uh, teaching in a school or you're um, any organization where you're at work, where you're making money, where you're making your living, you're going to have conflict with people. Because if you try to rise up, if you try to take that advance, you try to get a promotion, people are going to come against you. Because they want what you want. They want what you're trying to get. So there's, it's called competition. But this is more than competition. This is risk. God's favor often comes with risk. When we stand up in the workplace or the, or the schoolroom or wherever we're at for our God, there's going to be risk. 
And we're seeing that more and more in our culture today. Some people are envious of what you might have or what we have or, 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 or what you want to get. Some people are egotistical. They want power. And when they feel they should have been rewarded instead of that other person, they resent it. And that's what's happening here. They resented Daniel. Did you know that even God has an enemy? God Almighty, the creator of everything, he has an enemy. And God's enemy is Satan. Satan turned against God, against his creator, turned on him. And Satan is the enemy of all God's people in all places and all times. It doesn't matter where you live. You could go live in Zambia where Victor and Grace are at. And you could, you, you could worship God there and you will come up against the enemy. You can go to Europe and, and, and plant churches or go to church and, 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 have a, and, and go to school or a business or whatever. And if you worship God and serve God there, you're going to find your enemy there. Asia doesn't matter. Indonesia doesn't matter. South, in the Middle East doesn't matter. Your enemy is going to be there. He's always coming against the church because the church belongs to God. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. We have to be aware. Your enemy of the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's always looking for somebody. So we have to be alert and aware. Church, we need to realize that Satan is our enemy. He is our enemy. And Satan will come after us the way Daniel's enemies went after him. It's just in his nature. Satan doesn't want us to thrive. We're God's people. He doesn't want us to grow spiritually. He doesn't want us to do well in life. Satan doesn't want us to be effective in sharing the gospel, the message of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't want people to be baptized like April and others. He doesn't want to see people come to saving faith. He doesn't want us to build on that land out on the east edge of town either, by the way. You understand that? Satan doesn't want us to do that. Why? Because there's nobody out there serving churches, serving the people in a church out there. Satan, he's got all that control. He's okay with that. Leave it be. He doesn't want us to build out there. Why do you think it's so hard to get there? Satan is the enemy of the church. But God Almighty, the Most High God, is our God. Amen. The Creator who made everything, even He even made His own enemy, is our God. And He is our defender. Isn't that great? It doesn't matter what Satan does. God is our defender. In Psalm 68, verse 19, listen. Praise to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. When you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you escape death and eternal damnation and separation from God. Surely God will crush the, enemy, the heads of his enemies. Yeah, you will. Daniel was confronted with the, the real threat of real enemies. They schemed to remove him from power and even to kill him. But we will see that God is Daniel's defender. And we can take hope from his example. Daniel was simply attacked on a regular basis. Point number two in your outline, the people of God are often attacked by their enemies. Their church will always have an enemy coming against it. And the more active a church is in its ministries, the more active a church is in sharing the gospel, the more active the church is in helping people worship God, the more attacked that church is going to be. It's just the way it is. Look at verse 4 and 5 with me again. It says, So they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, and I'm sorry, because he was trustworthy, and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel. 
unless it has something to do with the law of his God. These guys are smart. They attack Daniel by attacking his faith, by attacking his belief in his God. And this is nothing new with the people of God. David said this in Psalm 109, verse 25, I am the object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Has anybody ever made fun of you for believing that there really is a creator? Have anybody ever mocked you for being a follower of Jesus Christ? That mamby-pamby Jesus who got killed? Even Jesus himself was attacked. Mark 15, verse 3, tells us the chief priest accused him of many things. And yet they could find no fault, no charge. So we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. And Peter left us some great, great uh, guidance about the kind of attitude we should, ha we should have when we're attacked today for, for who we believe in and what we believe. In 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Peter wrote this. He said, Dear friends, I like that phrase, friends. Dear friends, he's talking to the church. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice that, particip I'm sorry, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. See, Satan only attacks something or someone that is for the glory of God. So if your life is, is built on, on glorifying God, you're going to get attacked sometime, somewhere. It might not be a big deal. It might be a little small thing. You might be able to brush it off. It might be pretty big, though. Friend, I just want to encourage you. Turn it over to God. Trust in Him. Rely upon Him. Because when His glory is revealed, you will be overjoyed. Because your faith will be finally proven true. Daniel had a target on his back. He had a big target on his back. Not because he was corrupt or negligent or even incompetent. Daniel had enemies because of his God. Most of the time, the people who uh, don't like you don't like your God either. And that's really what's grinding on them a little bit. That's the little bit of sand in the shoe that irritates them when they see you. They knew who Daniel worshipped and believed in, so they attacked him for his faith. He lived for his God in a godless culture, and they used it against him. And they were devious. Look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6, so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or any man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now, a king issued a decree and put it into writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. They were devious. Y'all like that word devious, don't you? It's very descriptive. They were manipulative. They were tricky. They were, they, they were smart. They went as a group. And they tricked Darius into signing this, this, this law that threatened Daniel. They knew who Daniel worshipped, and they knew that he believed in God, so they used his faith against him. Look at verse 9. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Man, I, I read that this week as I was studying for this message, and I thought, man, he was really gullible. It, it makes him look foolish in my eyes. He's foolish here. He didn't ask why. 
if, if someone had come to me like this, I would have asked, well, I asked my wife for a lot of things. I ask Anna, I'm always asking her, why? Why are we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? What? Why? Why? Why, Bill? Why? I don't know. Why? I would have asked why. He didn't ask why. He didn't ask, where's Daniel? Hey, I don't see Daniel's going to be my number one guy. Where's he at? What's he think? What's his opinion? He didn't say, I need to talk to Daniel first, then I'll give you a decision. He simply did what those, that other group of men asked him to do. And by doing that, he put Daniel and his life at risk. I think he was gullible and foolish for doing that. Sometimes bad people will use other people to get what they want. Have you ever seen that happen? Bad people will use somebody else to get what they want. Kids do that too, don't they? Hey, Dad, Mom said I could. Or, hey, Mom, Dad said. Well, go ask your father. Well, he said I could do this. Well, okay, I guess it's all right. Have you ever had kids like that? <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. But sometimes bad people use other people to get what they want. By the way, I'm not saying your kids are bad. Not like this, anyway. And so that's what they did. We need to remember that when that Darius was well thought of, that Darius thought Daniel was a great, great guy, that, that he really wanted to promote him and make him one of his top three administrators. So when good people attack us, we need to remember that it isn't necessarily always with malice. It might be they were being used by one of our enemies. We need to remember that. Number three, the people of God today must respond to the enemies the way that Daniel did. We need to use Daniel's example of how he dealt with this whole situation. And it's a very difficult situation. And we can apply his lessons, his life, to our own problem. Look at verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Wow. Daniel responded by going to his God. He went back to his God just as he had done before. He didn't have a breakdown. He didn't give up. He went to his God as he had done before, and he opened up that window looking towards Jerusalem, and he prayed. There's three basic lessons I think we can learn from this. Number one, Daniel maintained his faith in his God. We need to do that. We need to maintain our faith in our God. By the way, he's the same God. When things get tough and things overwhelm us, have faith in God. Trust in God Almighty. Trust in him, the one true living God, the Lord who loves you. Number two, Daniel thanked God for being his God. Well, we need to do that more and more and more. Every time we pray, we should start out, thank you, Father, for loving me. Thank you, God, for being my God, for being my Savior, my Defender, my Rescuer. Thank you, God. You've done this before. Thank you that you've done that. Help me again. You see, he's responding to his enemies in the best way possible. And number three, he prayed over the situation that he was in. He didn't get his guns and ammo. He didn't get uh, into his little bunker and hide. He, he didn't run away. He didn't do anything. He simply prayed to his God. We need to do that too more often. We need to have a prayer life. That when we're walking somewhere, we're praying in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit. We're somehow having this relationship with God that's just ongoing, that's natural, that happens. That when something good or bad happens, we take time and we go to God with that. 
And by the way, like I said, good times too. Don't just go to God when it's bad. Be sure to go to God when things are going well or things are going smooth and you just think, well, life is good. Go to God on a regular basis. In James 5, 13, it says this, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Yeah. In Matthew 10, verse 16, Jesus told his followers this. He said, be careful how you deal with people who aren't necessarily your friends. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as, as snakes and as innocent as doves. Did you know that snakes are not necessarily always bad? That snakes eat a lot of rodents and animals that we don't necessarily like, like mice and rats and other snakes? Even the snakes that we don't like, they kill off rodents. And, and if you've ever watched a video of a mongoose fighting a king cobra, you'll see a king cobra, even though he can't beat that mongoose, is pretty darn shrewd. He keeps himself always in front of that, that mongoose. That mongoose will get him, but it takes a lot of work. Snakes are shrewd. They stay out of sight. They flee. We're supposed to be careful, too. We're supposed to be shrewd in the sense of recognizing who's our friends and who's not our friends. We're also supposed to be innocent as death, meaning don't join people in their sin. If they get mad, we shouldn't get mad. Now, that's hard to do sometimes because people really can act out and get us kind of wound up. People are very, some people are very good at that, manipulating our emotions negatively. We've got to be careful there. We've got to be innocent as doves, meaning we've got to be sinless in that situation if we can be at all costs. It's a lot to come up with, isn't it? It's a lot to deal with, right? It's why we need to be in prayer. It's why we need to have this close walk with God every day. A core belief of the Christian faith has always been this. Someday Jesus Christ is going to come back. Someday the skies are really going to rip open roll back like a scroll, and Jesus Christ is going to appear. He's going to come back into this world, and when he does, he will deal with our enemies. Because he's our God, right? Yeah. Because our enemies are really his enemies. And so we look forward to that day. We celebrate the Lord's Supper in anticipation of that day. In Revelation 12, verse 10, John wrote this. He said, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accusers of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. In other words, Satan is already defeated. He's already a loser. So why let a loser overcome us? We shouldn't, right? Someday there will be a divine reckoning. You know what I mean by that? Someday we're all going to face our God. And whether you believe in him or not, you're going to face him. It's just the way it is. He said so. We all are going to have to face him and deal with our life. Where will you stand at the moment of that reckoning? Where will you stand? Will you stand with Jesus Christ, your God and Savior? Or will you stand with the accuser who's already been thrown down out of heaven? Who's already been defeated and condemned? Because see, if you, if, even if you just say, I don't really believe in Jesus, I don't, I don't have anything against Jesus, but I don't believe in him, guess what? You've just rejected Jesus. It's just the way that is. If you do not accept him, you reject him. So today, during our invitation time, here's what I want to do. I want to offer you that opportunity. I try to do this every Sunday where we offer people the opportunity to respond to God, to listen to God speak again through a song. Our invitation song today is Just As I Am. Friends, I want to say to you, 
I know that God will take you the way you are right now. Your life might be a mess. Your life might be full of sin, full of rejection, full of anger. But God will take you as you are right now. The problem is he will not leave you the way you are. He wants to make you into someone new. He wants to change your life by changing you. So let's stand. If you've never given your life to Christ today, it's a day to do that. You come forward as we sing the song. God speaks, moves your heart. You come forward, talk to me. I'll be glad to help you do that. Let's pray. Father, today, as we sing this last song, before we come to your table, I just ask God that you would speak to each person's heart here today. Encourage and comfort and reassure those who believe in you already, but did to pay our sin debt. So if you haven't made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ yet, if you don't believe in him yet, you shouldn't eat the bread or drink the cup. No one's going to make fun of you for not doing that. No one's going to mock you. If they do, you let me know and I'll talk to them. We should be right with God before we eat the bread and drink the cup. We should belong to his family before we do these things. The Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus Christ died. The bread we eat is a reminder that his body was given so that our sins could be forgiven. Then by believing him, we could have heaven for eternal home so that God could be our God. And by the way, you don't come to the Lord's table by being good or good enough or working at something or doing so many good things. You come because of the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not by works. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. None of us boast. None of us should boast about our faith and our relationship with God through Christ. Because it's a gift. That's the thing we can boast about. That he gave us this. That he took me, a terrible sinner that I was, and changed me into someone new. And allows me now to eat at his table. So as we get ready to eat the bread and drink the cup, as you get the element, you get the bread first. Take that bread and hold on to it. Don't eat it. Wait for everybody to get served. But as you're waiting, say a prayer. Just pray over that. Just speak to God wherever you're at and just let him know you're grateful. Whatever you need to say to him, you say it to it quietly by yourself. And the same with the cup. When you get the cup, just wait. And as you're waiting, you can pray. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eye. You can just pray as you are. All right? Will the men who are going to be serving this morning come forward, please? Jerry, would you pray over the bread for us? Father, thank you for this privilege you have of coming before you once again. We do call you our Father, you're my Father, but you're also our Father. We just thank you for that privilege of calling you Father because we know your Lord and Son is our Savior. And we thank you now for this reminder of how much it's done for us as we celebrate by partaking of this bread that represents his body that was uh, broken for us. For us, and we just thank you so much for your love for us and help us to, to share that love with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
John chapter 14 says that Jesus told his disciples, trust in God, trust also in him. So we eat the bread to trust and remind ourselves to trust in him no matter what's going on. Amen? No matter what life brings us, we trust in him. So we eat the bread. Jerry, would you pray over the questions? Lord, we thank you for this time and just to come and have communion with you, Lord. And we just ask you to bless us, Lord, as we take of this drink, Lord. We thank you for the blood that you shed for us, for our salvation. And thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Rejoicing over the fact that he is the way, right? Amen? He's the way to life in this world and in the next. He's the truth. We've discovered what truth really is. It's a person named Jesus. And he is the life. A new life in Christ that we celebrate when we drink the cup. This concludes our service today. I hope that God has spoken to your heart today and encouraged you and strengthened your faith. Let's pray. We get ready to dismiss. Uh, before we do, so let's go ahead and stand together. just want to share a few things with you. Next Sunday at 6 p.m. in the afternoon, we're going to have a movie night. Uh, it's called Paul, Apostle of Christ. It stars Jim Caviezel, the star of um, The Passion of the Christ. So I hope you can come be a part of that. We're going to have potluck snacks. We're asking people to bring, a, bring something to share with everybody else as well. We've got a two-hour-long movie. It's supposed to be really good. It's got some uh, great uh, name actors in there as well. So I hope you can be part of that. We'll show a preview next week. Love to have everybody come be a part of the of that movie night. Our fellowship hall is all freshly painted. Uh, the guys kind of ruined it yesterday when with the breakfast, but uh, <laughs> forgive us for that. But um, come ha have a good time next Sunday night. Come for worship in the morning, obviously. Sure, let's do that as well. Okay. Hope you have a great week in the Lord. Hope God really blesses you throughout this week in big and little things as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time with you. Thank you for the privilege of coming to your table to.